And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome into the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Tim McMaster, back with you for another Monday mailbag. First off, a big thank you to Derek Van Riper for filling in for me the last few weeks as I was spending time with my new baby daughter. Very much appreciate DVR taking over. He did such a great job hosting things with Ken for the playoffs. We're going to change the mailbag up a bit, mostly because of Ken's insane travel schedule in October. Ken will be recording the mailbag on his own as he jumps from city to city for both The Athletic and his Fox broadcasts. We'll be picking the top five best questions each week for the October shows. You can get us your questions the same way as always. The phone number is 646-543-7072 or email us tabaseballshow at gmail.com. If you like the show, please rate and review us wherever you listen. That really helps us out as we continue to grow this thing. Without further ado... Here's Ken with the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. Hey there, it's Ken. Hope everyone is doing well. I am recording this podcast this week from my hotel room Saturday night in Boston, getting ready for the MLB network broadcast on Sunday. And usually we record on Sunday, but because I've got that broadcast, it's going to tie up a little bit of my time. So we figured we'd get to your questions on this particular evening. And first I want to talk about not the playoffs, because if I start talking about the playoffs before the podcast actually drops, we're going to have a lot of things outdated. That's how the playoffs work. Every day is a new set of dramas. So I figured I'd start off by talking about the process behind the story that We published yesterday, on Sunday, the one I wrote about the Rays Game 3 starter, Drew Rasmussen. Now, at this moment, I have no idea how the game turned out, how Rasmussen performed. But it's a story that is not really about any game in particular. It's about his career, and it's about the scout who helped sign him for the Rays, the area scout who first recommended him, a guy named Paul Kirsch. Now, Paul Kirsch passed away on September 5th, died of ALS. And at that moment, right after he passed, I got a text message from another scout saying, hey, you need to write something about this guy. This guy is really special. He was different. He was the best of us. If you could acknowledge him in some way to let his family know how much people thought of him, that would be great. So a couple of days after that, I wrote a notes column and I included a note at the bottom of that notes column about Paul, who I had never met. John Morosi, who I used to work with at Fox and who now, of course, does great work for the MLB Network and NHL Network, Paul was the first scout he had ever met. And John tweeted something 
shortly after his passing, just basically saying, this guy really helped me. He was great. So even though I didn't know Paul, obviously I knew he had been good to a colleague of mine, and I knew other scouts thought really highly of him. So I wrote that note, and that was it for that period of time. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking with someone from the Rays, and he explained to me the story of Paul and of Drew Rasmussen, and how the Rays drafted Rasmussen with the 31st pick of the 2017 draft, but did not sign him, because after the draft, an MRI showed that Rasmussen had a tear in his elbow and needed a second Tommy John surgery. Rasmussen obviously was heartbroken. It cost him millions of dollars. He was supposed to sign for about $2 million. Ultimately, he was drafted the next year by the Brewers and signed for $135,000. The Rays were also heartbroken. This was their 31st pick. This was a guy they really liked and had gotten to know him briefly and had been utterly captivated by his personality, his maturity, all of those qualities that you would want in a high draft pick. And Kirsch was perhaps crushed most of all because that was his guy. Well, it turns out his... One of his best friends on the scouting circuit in the Northwest was a scout for the Brewers named Sean Whalen. Naturally, it was Whalen's team who took Rasmussen the next year because Whalen had great familiarity with Rasmussen as well. So to close the circle, what happened was the Rays, of course, made a huge trade with the Brewers on May 21st. We know of that trade as the Willie Adamas trade. Willie Adamas did great things for the Brewers. They also got Trevor Richards in that trade and sent him to the Blue Jays later for Rowdy Telez, who has done some big things for the Brewers. The Rays got two relievers. Drew Rasmussen was one. J.P. Fireisen was the other. And at the time, it was just, okay, two arms, typical Rays, gathering arms, doing what they do. Turns out they envisioned Rasmussen as a starter, as the scouts had earlier when he was in high school, when he was at Oregon State, all of that. Sometime this summer, the Rays visited Seattle. That's the city closest to where Rasmussen grew up, the city closest to where Kirsch lived in Wilsonville, Oregon. And Kirsch, in his wheelchair, with what he called a smart box, an eyes-gazing device that basically turns his thoughts into text, went to the game with his wife, Emily, and Rasmussen pitched that night. He made his Rays debut that night, and he pitched really well. And of course... Later, on September 5th, as I mentioned, Kirsch passed away. So the story was involving all of that, and it was a tremendously fulfilling story to write. That's the kind of story that those of us who do this got into the business for. I didn't get into the business to break news on Twitter. There was no Twitter at the time. Actually, I didn't even get into the business to break news. That was not the thing I cherished the most. What I cherished most was writing stories about people, about people like Paul Kirsch and Drew Rasmussen. And granted, all of those other things are part of my job, and I enjoy them, and I do them the best I can. But this kind of story is really something that kind of keeps me going. And to do it wasn't easy. You have to talk to a lot of people, and then writing it was a little unfamiliar for me because I don't often write about people who are that sick people who pass away, and I didn't know quite how to structure it. I turned in a first draft, and our editor, my editor, Emma Spann, she runs our baseball coverage, I was confident she could tell me where the structural flaws were, and she did. 
And I knew there were going in. I instinctively knew this isn't quite right. So she made some suggestions. We fixed it up a little bit. And hopefully people got to enjoy the finished product and really, and really came to understand where Drew Rasmussen came from, who Paul Kirsch was, and the whole way this thing came together for the Rays who thought they had lost Rasmussen forever when he flunked that physical and then got him back in a trade because they never forgot him. Kirsch never forgot him. And scouts get attached to players like that. It's one of the coolest things about the sport. So again, I hope people read it. Hope you enjoyed it. And for me, again, it was quite a satisfying story to do, something that really I felt good about at the end. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's get to your questions. Enough of my journalism lectures. We'll start, let's see, with a voicemail from Aaron Williams in Fresno, California. Go ahead, Aaron. Fire away. Hi, Ken. Love the podcast. Uh, my question is, while the potential chaos during the last weekend of four-way ties in the AL wild card at the end of the season make for great drama and exciting baseball, it also seems like the most inefficient and unfair way of determining playoff spots and seedings. Every other sports league has a series of prescribed tiebreakers. Why doesn't Major League Baseball? For instance, as a diehard Dodgers fan, and as much as I would have loved the chance to beat them in a 163rd game to win the division, the Giants won the season series 10 games to 9. There should have been no need for a 163rd game if they ended with the same record because they beat the Dodgers more in the regular season, which head-to-head record is usually the first criteria in tiebreakers. It seems like the current system devalues the regular season if it all comes down to one game. Is there any discussion in Major League Baseball to change this? Thanks. Aaron, thanks for the question. I get what you're saying. And certainly, you play a full season and teams play each other 19 times, you would think that would determine it, right? But baseball has a bit of a different view. And in baseball's view, when I say baseball, I mean Major League Baseball, the division champion should be determined on the field between those teams. And like that idea or not, it leads to a dramatic one-game playoff, and it leads to an excitement that otherwise would not be there if you simply awarded the title. Is it fair? I guess you could argue it's not the fairest way to go about it, and certainly there are flaws and positives to everything that baseball will decide or not. But I kind of like it this way. I kind of agree that it should be decided on the field, And I have no problem with it. And I don't expect that this will change even if we go to expanded playoffs. I expect that if two teams tie for division title, it will continue to be decided on the field. So, Aaron, that's how I see it. And again, I appreciate your thoughts. Thanks a lot. Next question is an email. It says, hey, Ken, 
As a Cardinals fan, I experienced great heartache with that walk-off by Chris Taylor to send the Dodgers into the NLDS against the Giants. It should be a fun matchup to watch. It is. But I am very disappointed with the effort of the Cardinals hitters. 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position in the final game. Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Arenado combining to go 0 for 7. Do you think Nolan Arenado can be a successful postseason player? He seemed to struggle in games in Colorado with hitting in postseason games, and he was almost non-existent tonight. Also, do you think the Cardinals' future is bright, or was the 17-game winning streak just a mirage, with the Cardinals being a completely flawed team who just got hot at the right time and got lucky? Thanks. All right, you're throwing a lot at me here, but I'll take each question one by one. Yes, I know the Cardinals fans are frustrated by what happened that night. It wasn't the kind of game that they would have hoped to have had. There were some opportunities there, and the Cardinals did not seize upon them. That's what happens sometimes against a really good team. As for the Arenado in the clutch question, right? The Arenado, how about him in the postseason? Can he be better in the postseason? I have seen, going back to the 2017 WBC, when Arenado played for Team USA, he does seem to tense up. I would agree with that assessment. I bet Nolan would agree with that assessment. However, as we've seen over the years, you give a great player enough chances in the postseason, and he's going to figure it out. The most notable example of this was Barry Bonds, when Barry Bonds had a reputation for choking in October, and then, of course, 2002, he was pretty darn good. So I expect if the Cardinals get back, and they will get back, that Arenado will be, at some point, a really fine contributor for them in the postseason. Now, as to the question of them getting back and being a better team next year, what can they do, all of that, I don't think they are a fluke. And that 17-game winning streak, yes, that was an extreme, and maybe the first half of the season was a little bit of an extreme, too, the other way. But they're going to get Flaherty back full-time. They're going to get Dakota Hudson back. Their pitching should be in pretty good shape. Wainwright's going to return, too. Ultimately, the question becomes, okay, do they get one more bat? And that's something that they're going to have to look at. I would think shortstop or second base would be a position or either position one that they could upgrade and then maybe kind of figure it out from there. But they're going to be really good. And maybe the bullpen needs to be addressed to some degree as well, particularly with the way the season ended, or it can be restructured. But keep in mind, the Cubs have gone backwards. The Brewers are going to be good. The Reds may go backwards. The Pirates aren't there yet. And the division as a whole is not that powerful, not something that is that daunting. So yes, I expect the Cardinals to continue to be a contending team at the very least, and maybe even more than that. Another email coming up here. This is from Simon Harrow. He has a couple of suggestions for improving baseball, don't we all? He says, I was interested in the discussion on the season structure during last Monday's podcast. Being one of the few British baseball fans, I come from a football, soccer if you must, background, in which during a season each team plays each other twice. So, it comes as a surprise to me that wildcard teams are selected on uneven, what we call unbalanced schedules. This was particularly highlighted when the Red Sox played their last series of the season against Washington. I think baseball should go back to intra-league play only, intra-league, to make the season fairer. Okay. His other idea, limit pitchers to speed the game up and showcase the starter matchups. There should be a limit to the number of pitchers to be used in one game. I think that limit should be three with the possibility of extra placements in case of injury. All right, I'm going to start with the second one first, Simon. 
Limiting pitchers is an idea with some merit, but not in an individual game. What I'm thinking, and what has been discussed somewhat, is limiting the size of a staff. So let's say the maximum number of pitchers is 11 or 12. Then you need more out of each individual pitcher, particularly the starter, and perhaps that would help enhance the value of the starter going forward. I am in favor of that. Now, to your other question about the unbalanced schedule, you make a really good point. Teams aren't playing the same quality of schedule. It's one of the flaws in the system, if you want to call it that. But baseball likes to have its cake and eat it too. It wants an elite play. It wants an unbalanced schedule. It wants what it claims to be a fair and equitable playoff system. Well, you can't really have all three. So I don't expect interleague play to go away, at least not until realignment, which probably will occur when baseball goes to a 32-team league, expands from 30 to 32. I also don't expect the unbalanced schedule to go away. Baseball likes that. Likes the idea of the Yankees and Red Sox, the Giants and Dodgers, the Cubs and Cardinals, all of these division rivalries being enhanced by the fact that they play each other so often. So does it make for the fairer system? It certainly does not. And you make a great point, Simon. But I don't expect it to change even if the playoff format changes, even if other things change as well. It seems to me baseball is wedded to both interleague play and the unbalanced schedule. Another email, this one from Scott Stone. Scott says, there's too much to watch all at once on the final day of the season. Maybe in future years, instead of everyone starting at three, baseball could have AL games start at something like one or two, and all NL games start at four or five, around there. You could still eliminate intra-league scoreboard watching, but networks could air and fans could see more of the action live, etc. Now, Scott, I hear you, man, and I know what you're saying that it was a lot to take in that final day. But that's the beauty of it. This is the one innovation in the last, I don't know how many years, that baseball actually got right. And it, right in an unequivocal way. People, for the most part, are really into the 3 o'clock starts and the fact that everything is taking place at once. And then it's this chaotic finish to the season. And ultimately fair, because of course you have everyone playing at once, and no team can gain the advantage of knowing what the other has done. He also mentioned, Scott, in his email, the idea of the interleague game, and you can put that somewhere else in the middle, whatever. Yeah, I get it, but let's not fix this one thing that isn't broken. This was one of the better things that baseball has come up with over the years. It enhances the final day, does make it fairer, and it does make it more exciting. So in those respects, I don't expect anything to change there. Thanks for the email, Scott. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most
most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. And finally, one more. This one is a voicemail. Hi, Ken. My name is Joe Messina from Philadelphia, and I'm calling uh, with the question with Dusty Baker and Tony LaRusso's success for their teams. Will this help someone uh, like Buck Walter find a job for the 2022 season? Thank you. Joe, thanks for the voicemail. It's interesting you raise the successes of Dusty Baker and Tony LaRussa. Both have faced criticism this year, and LaRussa, in particular, is under fire for his bullpen management in Game 2 of the Division Series. As I taped this on Saturday night, White Sox fans are still seething about that and the way that all went down. Who knows? They might come back to win the series by the time this is recorded. Maybe they've even come back to some degree. Maybe not. But LaRussa and his strategy has come into question. Dusty, too, with the way he handles the pitching staff. So, yes, both got to the playoffs, no question. And it's an interesting point that you raised to back into an answer here. Certainly, we've seen some failures of first-time managers, right? Most recently, Jace Tingler. He's not kept his job, lost his job. The Padres actually had two first-time managers in a row. Andy Green and Jace Tingler did not work out. Did not work out for Luis Rojas with the Mets. It has worked out for certain others. It's not a universal thing. But generally speaking, in my opinion, there is value to the experience of managing in the big leagues or at least the minor leagues. And if not managing, then coaching in the big leagues or at least having significant coaching experience in the minors or managing experience. You've got to have something is what my point is. Too often, that has not been the case with some of these choices. Jay Stingler had very little managing or coaching experience. So going forward, does that mean that the success or the relative success of a Dusty Baker or a Tony La Russa will lead to enhanced opportunities for Buck Showalter and Bruce Bochy? I'm actually not sure. 
because the game has changed. And what do you hear from front offices today? We want, we value collaboration, which means top-down management, the front office not necessarily running the game, but certainly imparting its ideas to the manager and expecting that the manager implements those ideas. Bruce Bochy comes from a different era. Buck Showalter comes from a different era. I'm not saying that these guys could not adapt. I'm quite sure they could to a certain degree. But it just seems the trend is toward managers you can control. And in most cases, that's been the pattern of hirings in Major League Baseball's managers that front offices control and front offices can at least have the expectation that what their desires are will be fulfilled. Certain teams do it to a degree that is really almost inspiring, frankly. The way they do succeed in their cohesiveness. Tampa Bay, unbelievable. The way their organization is integrated, not just the manager in the front office, but really all the way through. Kevin Cash and Eric Neander, they're not having any problems. They're good. Craig Council and David Stearns in Milwaukee. Now, I'm sure at times they disagree. I'm sure Cash and Neander disagree, but there is a common bond there. There's a common respect, and there's no heavy-handedness going on. So that is the ideal, and to get that ideal, would it involve someone like Obochi or Buck Showalter? Probably in the minds of most front offices, the answer to that is no. That'll do it for this week's five questions with Ken Rosenthal. Thank you so much for checking out the show. If you want your question answered next week, it's easy to get the questions into us. We love the voicemails. The phone number is 646-543-7072. Or you can also email us, tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Stay with the Athletic Baseball Show all week long. On Tuesday, Jason Stark and Doug Glanville, of course, bringing you Starkville. Wednesday, it's Andy McCullough continuing his check-ins on the Athletics Beat Writers as they cover the playoff teams. That's coming with you throughout October. The first episode was last week. Great stuff from Andy there. On Thursday, it's the Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. And of course, on Friday, it's Keith Law and DVR. Five days of content per week through the month of October and the postseason. Talk to you again next week.